Welcome along. It's Saturday afternoon and you're listening to Unbelievable here on Premier Christian Radio. A warm welcome to you, however you're joining us, whether it be across the country on our DAB licence in the London area on Medium Wave or perhaps you're listening online. Of course, the podcast available right now at premier.org.uk forward slash unbelievable and a warm welcome to our podcast audience because in many ways uh, this this really does go beyond the uk it's an international show in many ways as you'll discover today got a really really interesting show for you let's find out who we've got on you're unbelievable we are having a, a grill a christian session today uh, our christian who's going to be grilled is david robertson and uh, Anybody who's familiar with his show is probably familiar with David in many ways because he has uh, a ministry of apologetics. He regularly engages with atheists, uh, agnostics, uh, people of other faiths on the whole area of Christianity, the claims it makes. Uh, He's a pastor of a free church in Dundee, author of the Dawkins Letters, and he's going to be interacting with four atheists on the show today. Um, These are all regular listeners of Unbelievable, so this is really a a listener-supported show in that sense. Um, So I do hope you you're going to enjoy it as much as I am. And we'll be going all over the world, uh, Cambridge, France, Aberdeen and China, coming up on the show today as we tackle the questions that matter to you, the unbelievable listener. Fantastic. Well, thank you, David, for joining me on the programme today. Great to have you with me. Yeah, I think it's good to be here. <laughs> I'm, the, uh, um, I'm not 100% sure I'm looking forward to being grilled. But. Well, it's, you're a great sport for doing this. And as I said, when I was sort of arranging this show, I see you as a pretty good all-rounder because you quite often actually are going around the country, kind of taking questions when you do a lecture or, or a talk somewhere in a bookshop or something. Mm-hmm. That's, that's something you discovered that w- was a very interesting experience when you actually met some of the readers of your books face-to-face, wasn't it? Yeah, and uh, I mean, it, it, it's a good description, an all-rounder, um, jack of all trades and master of none. <laughs> so you then tend to meet, as I am assuming our, our guests are today, uh, people who are experts. And actually what, what helps me as a Christian is to be challenged and to have to think through some of these things. But discussing things from a rational perspective, uh, I find very, very interesting. Because a lot of Christians sometimes buy into that too. They just say, yeah, it is irrational, but who cares? Mm. Um, well, I care. <laughs> the, the, yes. So it, it's faith, but it's not blind faith. It's not kind of faith in the teeth of the evidence, as, as Richard Dawkins would yeah, call it. Yeah, it's not. I, I mean, faith and reason are, are not opposed. My view is, if, if you, I mean, I'm big picture, and my view about the big picture is everything we do is a matter of faith and reason combined. Everything. There's nothing that's entirely rational. Maybe except a few mathematical proofs. But, um, <laughs> and there's, no, there's virtually nothing that's entirely faith. You, you, we, faith always has its reasons, and, and reason always has its faith. Well, I think we're, we're already kind of getting into the, the, the subject that we're going to kick off with, with our first caller into the programme today. So it's uh, my great pleasure to welcome onto the show Martin Frame, who uh, is in Cambridge um, uh, at the moment. But I think you hail from, from Scotland yourself, Martin, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Actually, it's Oxford I'm in just now, uh, down here for the Times Literary I apologise, yes. It's, it's okay. I got, uh, I got uh, my Oxfords and my Cambridges confused. <laughs> you're, you're in Oxford. That's okay. But originally uh, from Glasgow. Absolutely. So, um, been listening to the show for long, Martin? Been listening to the show from about the beginning of last summer. Um, I came across a podcast between um, P.Z. Myers mm-hmm. and... 
Um, and Dennis Alexander. Dennis I think Alexander, that been, that's mm. right, from Cambridge, and uh, ever since I've been listening almost every week. Well, fantastic. It's, yeah, it's a great show. Thank you for joining, and uh, thank you for, for listening. Um, so, Martin, kick us off. Um, what, what do you want to grill David on today? Okay, hi, David. It's, uh, hi. it's good to talk to you. Um, so, here's my first question. Um, it's, a, it's a thought experiment. Okay. Imagine we live in a godless universe. Mm-hmm. It, there is no God, and a purely naturalistic account of the universe uh, was sufficient for its explanation. Uh, in what way would the universe look different? Okay, wow, right. Well, that's an easy one to start with, says he, uh, <laughs> just about to walk out of the studio. No, um, well, first of all, I, I don't think it could exist. The, the, the universe, I think it's obviously a hypothetical question. The universe that we have at the moment is one that is... Um, well, for me, anyway, clearly not godless. Uh, if there was a universe without order, without um, design, without beauty, without truth, without morality, then that would be a godless universe. But such a universe, by its very definition, cannot exist. So for me, um, first of all, I would say I don't think it would exist. And secondly, I think that uh, I would go along with Richard Dawkins when in The God Delusion he says that a universe with God is entirely different from a universe without God. And he describes the universe without God as being a universe that you would expect to find without um, justice and uh, good and evil and so on, uh, exactly uh, as the universe... In other words, a cold, pitiless, indifferent place. Oh, you, you, I mean, what you're getting at, I'm guessing... I've heard, I've heard a similar sort of statement before, um, Martin, um, from atheists who say... The, the universe looks exactly as it would look if there were no God. Right now, the universe looks as we would expect it to look without a God. Sure. And, sure. and is, is that kind of the point you're getting to, that, that why should David assume there's a God when the universe looks just like you would expect it to look in the absence of a God? Well, I mean, when we think about the, the history of the universe, which has been around for 13.7 billion years, okay, and human beings have only been around for maybe... Um, 100,000 years, perhaps up to 250,000 years, an infinitesimal fraction of the, of the time that the universe has existed, it doesn't suggest that uh, the universe has been, uh, you know, created for, you know, with us in mind. It just doesn't seem that way. And, and given the fact that people endure unbelievable suffering and, and misery all throughout their lives and then die, it just doesn't seem a fair place, the kind of place, the kind of world that an all-powerful, all-loving God would would create. But that's that's just that's just my view and probably the view well, of... Well, it's, it's, it's probably the view of, of many, but, but, but yeah, David. Yeah, um, there's, sorry, there's just one more question. Yeah, sure. Ask David, just because we're, we're, we are short of time. Yeah. Um, in the Dawkins letters, which, I've, uh, which I read uh, this week, actually, um, yeah. you claim that it takes, uh, um, quote, uh, a great deal of faith to be an atheist. Yes. Well, can you name one thing that an atheist is required to believe that's based on insufficient evidence? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Can I, can I go back to your first points, though, first? Because sure. they, they were really, really um, important. Um, the, the question of suffering, we're going to come on with one of the other questioners, but uh, let me just say at this point that um, supposing you do take God out of the equation, uh, the question of suffering still exists, and what you describe is the universe as it is without God, without any hope of redemptive, redemption. Um, what does the, the sort of universe look like? 
I mean, it's very interesting what you just said about uh -huh. the place of human beings, because Stephen Hawking, in A Brief History of Time, says this. It would be very difficult to explain why the universe should have begun in just this way, except as the act of a god who intended to create beings like us. Now, well, Hawking, of course, does not accept that there's a god, mm -hmm. but he's actually saying the universe looks as though it were created by a god. And... I, I'm, you're Scottish, I'm Scottish, I follow a basic philosophical presupposition of Scottish common sense philosophy, which is if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck and it waddles like a duck, it probably is a duck. And I think if the universe looks as though it's created by uh, God, and you have to develop a whole lot of incredible explanations to avoid that conclusion, then it probably was created by God. The other part of your question I find difficulty with is when we say what the universe looks like, um... I think the problem there is we don't know. We're, we're continuing discovering more. We are not. We don't right. know everything. Well, and, for example, I, I was at a lecture last week, and I, I discovered, I didn't know this, that the universe consists only of 4% matter, 22% antimatter, and what, right. and what yeah. people are now calling dark energy. We are, we are drawing close to our, our end. So uh -huh. which question should, should we which finish one? on yeah. here? Because, because you have also asked, Martin, um, what, what, what does David say atheists need to believe on faith? And you, you question that. But um, what, 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 what's the key one for you, the killer one, as we come to the end of, of for, this for me, section? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I would like to ask David... Um, uh, he says in the document it's a great deal of faith to be an atheist. So I'm just wondering, just you know, what what do what are atheists required to believe that's based on insufficient evidence? Okay, um, one is uh, I think William Lane Craig has a list of five things that we accept by faith. Um, one is the basis of science itself that the universe is orderly and rational and so on. And uh, no, that we, it's, we, it, we infer that we infer that from what we observe. It's, no, no, it's, 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 it's evidence-based observation. No, it's actually it's the evidence-based in the evidence of pre no, it, observation. It's not. A, it's not faith at all. It's actually the it's other way. It's, it's actually the other way round. It is completely the other way round. We cannot, for example, prove that we did not come into existence yesterday with complete with memories and so on. It's actually the other way around. So most societies well, well, have developed... No, we the, may not be able to prove 100%, but what we can do is provide uh, evidence from diverse sources which all converge on the hypothesis that we existed yesterday. Maybe there, are, maybe there is nothing except in mathematics that cannot be proven 100% and incontestably. Exactly. That mean that we, we, can, um, we can summon reliable evidence for, for, for you know, claims about the universe such as we were here yesterday, because I, I, I think I can um, muster some rather valuable evidence that I was here yesterday. Yes, of course, but the, it's you, not faith. I, it's I, as you as you know, philosophically, you could argue that that evidence just came along yesterday too. So the point about it well, is there are limits to logic. But yes, that means the, we can. We have, I'm not no. talking about 100 percent proof, but we can muster. Evidence. Yes. And I agree with that, and that's what I would say about God, because it seems to me that most atheists seem to ask for 100% proof for God. But in actual fact, as Wilkerson, David Wilkerson from the University of Durham points out, cosmology doesn't prove God, but it points us towards God. Now, I think atheists yeah. do believe a number of things. They, I think they do presuppose that there's rationality and order in the universe, do presuppose that human beings are essentially good. Most of the atheists I've met have presupposed that. Do, they do, they do, let, just, uh, hang on, no, no, no let, let's allow David just to finish. Let it, me and finish, and, and the biggest one of all for me is simply this, that you presuppose that you have sufficient intelligence and information to work out the answers to those questions. And my argument is yeah. that, that we actually don't. My argument is that it's not that mystery leads to ignorance, 
I actually think that what's what's a whole lot worse is when we think that we know it all. So um, I think it's Peter Atkins of Oxford once stated incredulously to me that uh, science was omniscient and knew everything. No, it's not. Peter Atkins does um, make the claim that that science will advance to the point that there will be no question in principle that science can't answer. I I wouldn't say that's necessarily the prevalent um, view among scientists. Thankfully. JBS, um, I think it was JBS JBS Heldane that said, um, I suspect that not only is the universe clearer than we suppose, but clearer than we can suppose. And there may be there will always be questions about the universe that we will never fully understand. And I'm that, sorry, okay. we can't yeah, get to all the questions. The answer. Thank you so much, Martin. Thanks, Martin. Fascinating to have Thank the interaction. You. And, um, Cheers, Martin. Thank you for coming on today. Um, no bless you. Um, and uh, if you're listening and you think, hey, that, that was a bit of a short slot, you're giving Martin there, Justin, it's because we're doing things a bit differently today, a bit experimental, the show today. We're doing more a quick-fire, phone-in sort of feel to this as we, uh, as we grill a Christian. That Christian being David Robertson, and uh, we're, we're kind of um, here, have taken calls from a, a group of atheists. Uh, is there a collective term for a group of atheists? Uh, any suggestions? Welcome. Um, a gaggle of atheists, a, a bright of atheists, maybe. Who knows? Um, but uh, we're, we're taking questions today. But if you've got a question, you've got a comment on anything you hear in the course of the show today, you can phone 08456 52 52 52 and select option eight. You can't as it were, call in right now and be part of our conversation, but I'll certainly play out your voicemail message in a future show. And don't forget the uh, podcast available at premier.org.uk forward slash unbelievable. Unbelievable with Justin Brierley. Well, you can get in touch and email me unbelievable at premier.org.uk. But you could get in touch directly with my guests because we're going to be continuing this discussion at the Unbelievable group on the Premier community. To get to that online discussion forum, you simply go to my webpage, premier.org.uk forward slash unbelievable. You can also find today's podcast there. Uh, click through to the Premier community. It'll take you to the group, uh, the Unbelievable group. And, well, all our guests who have questions for David are going to be posting their particular threads there. You can interact with them. David himself will be visiting and passing comments as well. So why not get involved? Premier.org.uk forward slash unbelievable and click through to the Premier community. Well, our next caller on the line is uh, Trevor uh, in France. Now, Trevor, you're going to have to help me with your surname. How is it pronounced? Is it a- Agus? It's, it's Agus, yes. Agus, Trevor. But you don't sound French yourself, Trevor. Uh, no, I'm from Belfast originally, so not, not quite Scottish, but uh, I have spent a bit of time there as well. So. <laughs> Fantastic. Trevor, thank you for joining us on the show today. Um, uh, now, just, just out of interest, for my, purely for from, from my own uh, benefit, uh, how did you sure. get in touch with the show? What, what caused you to start listening? Uh, do you know, I can't exactly remember the, the first time I stumbled across your show, but uh, it was one of the early podcasts that I stumbled across, uh, probably a couple of years ago, a few years ago. Um, Fantastic. And, uh, yeah, I've been uh, keeping an eye on it ever since. And I'm a fairly regular contributor on the Unbelievable uh, forum as well. Yes, it's quite, it's quite addictive. Um, <laughs> Go ahead. What did you want to ask David on the show today? Hey, well, I'm, I'm perhaps the, uh, the, the light relief because I've got um, quite a naive question uh, on, on Christian theology, so hopefully something you should uh, feel quite at home about, uh, David. Hello. <laughs> okay, yeah, it's, um, yeah my, my uh, defences are already up. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of, I'm not going to hit you. Please, please, please put your gloves down and then whack. <laughs> but go for it. 
<laughs> okay, I'm wondering uh, what what is the current explanation for for uh, why Christians can ign- uh, ignore some of the rules in the Old Testament, like. Uh, I'm not sure if you if you trim your beard or your sideburns or, or whether you're partial to shellfish, but uh, uh, these these are things which are seem to be prohibited in the Old Testament, but are, are considered okay by most Christians these days. Uh, I was wondering what what's the what, what's the current explanation for that? Yeah, I mean it's it's the standard question. There's a, a famous letter that got sent, I think, to the Telegraph about 30 years ago that every now and then gets wheeled out as original. Um, about you know um, trimming the beard and eating shellfish and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, what people are mostly referring to there, well, there's 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 two category errors that are being made. First of all, the Bible is not primarily a code book of ethics and rules and morality. Um, mm-hmm. That that is self-evident from reading it anyway. Okay. But um, secondly, and and Christians who attempt to te- to treat it as such uh, are in enormous trouble. It's it's okay. what we would call a bad hermeneutic. Okay, that, 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 that's very interesting because I, I thought that Christians considered that they got their morality partly from the Bible. Is, is well, that... you use the word partly, which is very important because okay. it isn't. It isn't prime. It's it's not a code book. I mean, now there are parts of the Bible that are a code book, um, mm-hmm. and, and particularly what you're referring to is the Mosaic law in um, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Though mm-hmm. most of it's repetition. And, the Mosaic Law, it's not just how Christians do this now. This, was, this has been done in, in Christ's time and um, since then as well. Um, the Mosaic Law is generally divided into three parts, the civil, the ceremonial, and the moral. The ceremonial is, for example, uh, Aaron's turban and the various stuff that he would wear into the temple. I've just been reading this morning. I do daily Bible reading. I'm reading the um, structure of the tabernacle and so on. I'm, I'm not looking at it and thinking that's how I ought to build my church. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's the, the the ceremonial aspect, which we argue is fulfilled in Christ. There is the moral aspect, which are abiding principles, which continue, particularly the, the the Ten Commandments and so on. And then there's the civil aspect, which is tied to uh, the nation state of Israel, the covenanted nation state of Israel at that particular time. Now we just don't have that anymore. The the Christian Church is not Israel. We don't have a theocracy and um, Personally, I wouldn't want a theocracy. So these are th- um, rules for the theocratic state of Israel, which no longer apply. Okay, so so essentially the rules changed. Is that is yes? That, oh yes, absolutely. Okay, okay, because quite often the word "fulfilled" is used as a it's seeming seemingly as a as a euphemism for for changed. Well, fulfilled means well, if you're talking about Jesus having fulfilled it. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, the ceremonial law, the sacrifice of lambs. I mean, if you came to my church on Sunday, we would not be taking a goat up the front and sacrificing it because the sacri- all these sacrifices pointed towards the sacrifice of Jesus, which has been fulfilled. All the priestly stuff in the Old Testament, that's fulfilled in the priesthood of Christ. And we don't have a political theocratic state of Israel. Now, there's a very, very small, like 0.0001% of Christians who call themselves theonomists who want to reintroduce those kind of laws. But uh, for me, that's actually heresy. That goes against the New yeah, Testament. Because I, I, okay, I get the impression that, that, that you and I would both agree that some of these ro- rules applied today would be, would be very silly rules to apply. Um, well, I just they, they just don't apply. I mean, I think you can take general principles. For example, the bit about not build, uh, you've got to build a parapet around your flat roof. Um, you can, if you want, you can take that as, well, it's a good idea to have um, health and safety, you know, um, which our health and safety people in Britain are going to love. But I mean, you, you, you can what take I'm general principles. Angling towards is, is is why would why would God provide rules for for anyone that are 
sort of uh, certainly with the benefit of hindsight seem seem a bit silly. Can you give us an example, like yeah. give us a concrete example of, of one that you would think just just seems ridiculous in hindsight? Uh, I'm, I'm thinking that it it probably was never a good thing to stone gay men, practicing gay men, uh, which is uh, that's uh, from Leviticus uh, 20, I think, uh, where um, homosexuality is, or, or for, for mankind to sleep with mankind is, is an abomination. And, uh, uh, and in a sense, not such a an irrelevant thing, because of course there's been this whole controversy in Uganda over the the, the bill that you know, in danger of being passed where um, execution for practicing homosexuals, etc. So, so, David, I suppose the question is... And, and, and even, even closer to here, uh, it's still very widespread in the Christian church to have a... Uh, certainly not put uh, gay, gay people on a, on a par with, uh, with straight people. It's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's mostly widespread um, that, that there is some uh, anti-gay attitudes very much alive in the church today. Yeah, <laughs> Um, can, can I answer? Yeah, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. The, uh, the Leviticus 20 thing, it doesn't say actually about stoning. Uh, the only stoning you get in the Bible is um, for uh, going up the mountain in Sinai, which is uh, not really. That, to me, your argument is a bit like saying being stoned for going up the mountain in Sinai is equivalent today to say if you go hill walking in Scotland, then you should be stoned. I mean, it, it, it's, not, it, it's not about stoning. And what you've got in Leviticus 20 in the whole passage is a whole series of things that are forbidden to uh, the Israelites, sexual relations, including um, bestiality, including sleeping with your daughter-in-law, including all forms of adultery. So it's not just anti-gay stuff. Sure. Oh, yeah, sure. It's, uh, it, it, I guess it's, um, it, it's one of the ones which, which seems most uh, surprising uh, sort of from our, our current perspective. Yes. So I got the, I, I, the, yeah. the, stoning, the stoning bit I made up, but uh, it does yeah. say um, uh, both of them shall surely be put to death in the... Uh, uh, if, if, a, if a man also lie with mankind as he lieth with a woman, both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. So, yes, it doesn't say exactly what means. But, but essentially, them, but, um, the point is, is death is, is the, the, you know, the, the, yeah, that's and, the punishment. Yeah, it doesn't execution. seem like a good, good idea today, and I can't see why, yeah. uh, you know, God would say that to the Israelites then, if he, if he did say that to the Israelites. Well, why why is it different end. now? Why why would we say that's, that's a terrible thing to do now? Um, David, I, I guess well, I, I, I know this is thing to do then. yeah. Mm. I, I know this is a, um, a guerrilla Christian thing, but I, I, to answer it, I need to do. I do need to ask Trevor one question. Um, on what basis do you say that um, that is ridiculous or wrong? Well, to 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 stone gay people. Uh, well, well it, it doesn't say stone green people. Let, I mean, let, 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 <laughs> let, 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 let's just work on the assumption that the Old Testament civic law condemned. Um, sexual immorality and included in sexual immorality the notion of homosexuality. So, on what basis do you say sure, that's wrong? And, 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 and recommended um, killing people who. who um, yes, and for gathering wood on the Sabbath and for various <laughs> other things. But I mean, I'm just uh, before I answer that, I, I need to know on what basis. I mean, you obviously think that's wrong. On, on what basis do you think it's wrong? Yeah, I, I believe you're, you're you're going to be talking about morals later. I, I think I think you know we we have different explanations you and I for for where our morals come from. But but one thing we can agree on is is the vast majority of what those morals are, uh, with with just a few exceptions. And uh, uh, you know I I don't think that's really the issue at hand. The, the the thing is that we both agree that that killing gay people for practicing homosexuality is a bad thing. Um, <laughs> We, we, we have different explanations for that, but but we're both agreed that God has rec- recommended something in, yes. uh, to, to the Israelites that, that we we think is crazy. Well, actually, uh, no, I'm not going to say that it's crazy. Uh, 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 once you set it in context, I'm just curious as to 
that the basis on which you judge something from 3,000 years ago, another zeitgeist and so on, if you believe that morality is something that just develops out of human culture? How, how can you judge something from another era? Uh, I, I would love to give you a, a lovely long answer to that, but I've, I've got about four minutes left, I think, <laughs> and, uh, and I don't think we're okay. going to answer all a right. long-standing philosophical question here. Well, great, like, it, it sounds yeah. like you're essentially saying that, that God was actually right to, um, to, to recommend killing gay people. Uh, no. <laughs> what I'm saying is I believe that the law of the Old Testament, the Mosaic law, at the time, in the context of the culture, and in the context of the Bible, and in the context of all that was happening, I think, yes, that, that was right. However, the trouble is that what you're doing is you're taking 21st century presuppositions, one of which is that morality is not absolute, but nonetheless, you're making an absolute judgment about something that was 3,000 years ago. Now, I would love to give, uh, I've only got a couple of minutes as well, I, I would love to give a long explanation of why I think it was right, but let me just do the very, very... I, I, I'm, not actually, I'm not actually thoroughly against moral absolutes. I'm, right. I'm, not, uh, I'm not fully... Okay. Religious, but it sounds like you're making an argument for... Uh, some kind of cultural relevance. In fact, it seems like you're saying that God is a bit culturally relativist yes. and that he... he yes, I am. I, what, what I'm saying this is God has absolute uh, morality and rules, if you like, but things adapted according to the context of the culture in which they were in. So, for example, in that very passage in Leviticus 20, it talks about sacrificing your children to Moloch. Now, I would argue that actually today we probably do the same thing, except a lot worse. You know, we get rid of children whom we don't want in the womb and so on. But my, my, my basic point would be simply this that when you read the Bible in context, rather than just pick and choose verses out and then go to them with a 21st century zeitgeist, when you read it in context of what was happening, why God said it, and I do accept that there are different relative commands. For example, Jesus, um, when he was talking about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, or when he was talking about uh, marriage and divorce and how the Israelites could just get rid of um, their, their wives, he said, God told you this because of your hardness of heart. In other words... God has absolute morals, but he realizes the weakness and the difficulties and the context and the cultures in which human beings are in. And in the context of a theocratic, covenanted state of Israel, then there are rules that were there which now seem to us either to be ridiculous or over the top. I think the basic principle that's taught in the Old Testament, as it's taught in the New, and by the way, the New Testament is a lot, lot harder because uh, hell is a lot more difficult than anything that's taught in the Old Testament, and that's what Jesus teaches but the basic I didn't think hell was mentioned much, but uh... well, it's, it's mentioned more by Jesus than by anybody else. Okay, and and that's a very interesting one. But I think for me, the 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 main thing involved in all of this is, does what does God think about human sexuality and identity? And God's plan is for one man and one woman. Um, we could uh, we will we could we probably would discuss homosexuality for a long, long time. I think the New Testament, and we do not. I don't think homosexuality should be. Um, you know, punished by execution or uh, I don't think anything like that but I do think and, and uh, uh, I don't condemn people for being homosexual but I do think that sex itself should be confined whether heterosexual or homosexual to marriage and I don't believe that uh, marriage should be between anything other than a man we, and a woman. I, I appreciate we've scratched the surface in some ways yeah. uh, and we always knew it would be that way but Trevor thank you for um, being in touch and, great question um, by the way please, Sorry. please obviously continue you know um, to, to put those questions in the forum etc where you've been, sure. been doing a great job um, you know raising some really interesting issues so thank you for being with us on the program today Trevor
Lovely to talk to you both. Good to talk to you. And to you, Trevor. It's good to have another Celt on the programme. (laughs) (laughs) Enjoy France. Well, as I said before, we're continuing today's discussion online, so you don't have to just leave it at the uh, recording. You can actually visit the Premier community and interact with our guests there. They're going to be posting up their questions uh, right there on the Premier community at the Unbelievable group. So visit premier.org.uk forward slash unbelievable. You can click through the link there to the Premier community. It'll take you directly to the unbelievable group see what people are saying about today's program as my guest and david uh, join me there to continue this discussion after the program and uh, they'll be doing that for the next week or two so feel free to get in touch there and uh, i'll put a link with the podcast as well if you'd like to do that so next up on the program we're meeting alex in aberdeen on the moral argument and david moser on suffering You're listening to Unbelievable on Premier Christian Radio. You certainly are. A little bit different today. We're grilling a Christian and it's a bit more quick fire today. Four atheists on the line during the course of the show. We've already had Martin and Trevor. Thanks again to them for their contributions. Uh, They're in conversation with David Robertson today. David is a Christian apologist. Uh, He regularly sort of writes, speaks uh, in defence of the Christian faith. He's the pastor of St Peter's Free Church in Dundee and author of the Dawkins Letters. If you want to check out his website, it's at stpeters-dundee.org. UK, and he's got a blog there that he regularly updates. Um, so we're continuing to grill David uh, in the course of the programme. On the line now is Alex Bryce in Aberdeen. Well, very good afternoon to you, Alex. Thanks for being with us on the show today. Um, a- Alex, uh, just because I've asked everyone else as well, how did you first come across the show, if you don't mind me asking? Um... I think it was, uh, it may well have been on the Richard Dawkins website. I can't quite remember where it was, but it was an internet link and I listened to one of the shows and I just thought it was uh, really interesting, the, the format, uh, Christians uh, speaking with atheists. I just found, uh, found the topics really interesting to listen to. Well, thank you very much. Obviously, the tentacles of Unbelievable have spread far and wide in the last couple of years and uh, thank you for listening. OK, go ahead. What did you want to ask David on the show today? Um, well, my particular kind of bugbear is just with the the moral argument uh, for God. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't quite understand um, how you get to... I mean, I think of morality as being uh, shared values that we have about right and wrong that have evolved mm-hmm. within ourselves. And it's just that often listening to these shows, the moral argument for God comes up, and I just think, I don't see how you can say that it's a justification for... Uh, thinking that God exists um, mm-hmm. and based on morality. Okay, I mean, it, it's it's the classic argument, and um, I guess I almost want to turn it back to you in terms of a question, but um, since you mentioned Richard Dawkins, uh, let me quote the God Delusion again, where he says it's uh, virtually impossible to have an absolute morality without religion. The trouble with having a non-absolute morality is that then, even if it's relative, it's relative to what? How do we decide what's right and wrong and you use the phrase as many people do shared values but what if um you have a society where the values aren't shared who decides well i think that you're saying i think that morality is not objective i think it is subjective but i think the problem you use sort of terms like that it's kind of it's it's more it's more complicated than that. I mean, I think that morality is relative, 
But the question is, what is it relative to? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's relative to human nature and to society in, in general. And I think there, there are quite a few things in morality that, that are fixed and are unchanging because they're important to how we've evolved. Things like um, uh, killing people. I mean, that's, you know, I think it is a, a subjective morality, but I just think obviously everyone agrees that killing is wrong because if there'd been a lot of people that thought that killing everybody was right, then, you know, they wouldn't have, um, you know, they wouldn't have lasted. But everyone doesn't agree that, uh, it's not that killing everybody, everyone doesn't agree that killing is wrong. For example, a significant number of people in our country think it's okay to kill a baby in the womb. A significant number of Germans in the 1930s and 40s thought it was okay to kill um, Jews. You know, it, it's, it, it is not the case that everyone presupposes that all killing is wrong. They don't. Well, obviously, it's a generalization to say all killing is wrong. I mean, obviously, if somebody um, is, uh, you know, trying to stab my family to death, then obviously I'd think it would be right to kill them. It was just a generalization, killing is wrong. Yes, but, but, but the problem with that, though, then the, the minute you move from saying it's not an absolute it, to it's then a generalization, and, I mean, to me, the thing what you said, it's subjective, it's how you feel. But what if I genuinely feel it's okay to go out and kill prostitutes? Why would that be wrong? Well, I mean, so the question then is, what do I think of as being wrong? Mm-hmm. I just think of uh, things that are wrong are, you know, it's an, inst- an instinct uh, from within me, which I presume comes from my genes, and it's basically things that I, you know, it's like the God will treat others how you would wish to be treated yourselves. And I think you can, um, a lot of things come from that. And But why yeah, should, more... I suppose the question is, why should we believe that is the right thing? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, it kind of just puts the whole question back a bit, doesn't it? If you say this, this is the general rule, you know, do, do unto others as you have them do unto you. Well, what if I just disagree with that? What makes my belief wrong compared to your belief? It, surely it still comes down to the idea that <clears throat> there's some kind of absolute, that this is the right way to do things and there's a wrong way to do things. Well, I think there's, there's things, there's different things which some people think something is right, some pe- people think something is wrong. Um, you know, you might think that, say, uh, you know, killing babies is, uh, killing babies for fun is right, and I think it's wrong. I mean, it's, I can't say that you're wrong, but I could say, you know, relative to uh, human society and to human nature in general, that, you know, most people agree on this um, because they've evolved to agree that. Um, and in that case, I could say that, um, you know, you might believe it's right and that's up to you. But uh, in relation to human society in general, um, what you believe is right, most people think is wrong. Yeah, but and you that's, see, as, that's as far as you can go, really. I mean, if, no, no. If, if that's as far as you can, can go, then you end up in hell. And I, and I mean that. I mean, you end up in a society which is dominated by people who have money or control of the media and who determine what our morals are. You end up with a government trying to have social engineering in schools. You end up with those who don't accept what society's view is as being ostracized and condemned and possibly persecuted and killed. If you have no absolute morality, you end up with the anarchy of the wealthy and the tyranny of the powerful. So that, that's the problem. I mean, um, it was Bertrand Russell who, after the Second World War, on, I think, the old home service, announced that Dachau, the concentration camp, Dachau is wrong, is not a fact. Now, from a, a, he said he felt it was wrong, but he couldn't prove it was wrong. Now, from a Christian perspective, uh, for me, it depends where you start. I start with the fact that if you kill my wife, it's wrong. I start with the fact that if you 
murder millions of Jews. It's wrong. And then I work back. And in actual fact, if you are a naturalist, materialist, atheist, you do have no basis for saying absolutely it's wrong. But because I know it's wrong, for me, that undercuts the whole argument. That's why Francis Collins, for example, the head of the Human Genome Project, became a Christian. Because he recognized that there was no basis for morality out with God, for absolute morality. There's a basis for relative, but then relative to what? And it just goes around in circles. But I, I don't think it does go around in circles. I mean, there are some things that we can all generally agree on, and those are the things which have, um, that we've evolved. But, but um, pe- may, may people in this country right, generally agreed that slavery was okay uh, just no, over 200 okay. years ago. But, but okay. the point is <laughs> that, that w- we all agree now it's wrong. Now, who was right? Are you just saying it's all relative? Back then they thought it was okay, therefore it was okay back then. Now we no. think it's not, so now it's not okay. There are some things which we agree are right, and those are things that we've developed over thousands of years, are things that um, you know, help us survive and which help the, the, the social group that don't harm us. Could, could you name things. one, Alex? Sorry, just name one, because it's helpful if you name one. Uh, killing babies for fun. But, okay, no, but, but was there ever a society that thought, was there ever a time in, in human history where we thought that killing babies for fun was okay? Well, that's my point. There wasn't, because if no. there ever were people that did that, they wouldn't have lasted very long. But, Alex, that wasn't your point. Would have, this, yeah, no, my, my point was, um, before I was interrupted, there are some things like killing babies for fun, which we all agree on, um, are wrong, because if you thought they were right, you wouldn't have lasted very long. But there are a hell of a lot of other things which we can't agree on. And that's the thing. We have to, you know, um, gay marriage or something like that. Some people think it's right. Some people think it's wrong. And, you know, there are debates and people have to persuade other people that it's right. Other people have to persuade other people that it's wrong. Mm -hmm. Things like slavery, I mean, that's one of these things. It's like um, for a long time people thought it was right. And then some some people thought it was wrong for other reasons. And the people that thought it was wrong convinced the people that thought it was right. And, you know, that's how it is. there, There are principles of morality, I look at it, which are... Okay. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say they're objective. I wouldn't say they're floating around in space anywhere, but they're things which everyone can kind of agree on. And why do they agree on them? Because they wouldn't, um, you know, it's evolved. They wouldn't have um, lasted very long if they thought killing babies for fun w- was right. But right. there are other things which are totally subjective and which, are, um, which people do disagree on. Well, let's take, I mean, I mean, what you did say, you mentioned the killing babies for fun, you said we'd evolved, but we've never evolved from that. People didn't kill babies for fun. But uh, they certainly do kill babies for convenience, and uh, that happens now, that babies are killed for convenience, 200,000 per year in this country. Um, let's, let's just talk about the slavery one. I mean, that's very, very interesting. Um, is slavery wrong? In my opinion, yes, and in the general sort of opinion of society, Yes, it is. If the general opinion of society changed, would slavery be right? Uh, in my opinion, no, it wouldn't be. But why would your opinion matter? Well, it matters to me. It's my opinion. Yes, I know, but you live in a world that doesn't consist of you. You live in a world which... Well, the, the rules that are made in this world are not made either for me or for you. They're made for all of us. So if, if you thought that... Why would you think that slavery was wrong if the whole of society thought it was right? Well, I mean, that would just be something that I would have figured out for myself. I mean, but I mean, I think you've got a point in a way. Um, say, uh, killing babies or something. If it was the case that a particular society, let's just make up a crazy scenario, but um, babies that were being born were being born with a disease which kind of was killing everybody off. 
then in that case, it would become right to kill babies. Mm-hmm. See what I mean? Things change. Um, you know, slave, I don't know if there was a particular scenario when slavery was to right and society thought it was right, then yeah, that could change. I mean, there's so, no absolute morality. There is no objective morality. Things can change. But you see what you've just walked into, because what you've just walked into is um, Nazism, because Hitler managed to convince, it wasn't just him, it came from him and others, that the Jews were actually vermin who were ruining German society. And people believed that. And by your standard, you're saying it was okay for him to do what he did to get rid of that vermin. It helped German society. Yeah, but how can you say it's my standard unless I say that it's right? My no. standard is that that was wrong. No, your standard so is your standard is that if it's harming society, you get rid of it. That's what you just said. No, I don't see how that links to me by my. I don't see how you've come round to by my standard. I'm endorsing. Well, that. you yeah. said if if it, if it turned out to be that there were babies who were creating a fatal disease, then it would be okay to kill them. That's a standard that's saying because they're harming the whole of society, then you would kill them. Now, all I'm saying is you extrapolate that into other things, and if you determine that, you know, the Jews are harming society, and you really believe that, and they, and they did really believe that, then by that standard, in other words, the standard that you've just espoused, it was okay for Hitler to do what he did. No, I wouldn't. I mean, there, there probably were... The people that were doing that to the Jews did manage to convince themselves that that was right. And that just says to my point that morality is subject. Yes, and that, that was right. They managed to convince yes. themselves that that was right. Absolutely. But a hell of a lot of other people thought it was wrong. And the majority of people thought it was wrong. The majority of people in Britain thought it was wrong. In America, the rest of the world um, thought it was wrong. And, yes. that, and that's why it was dealt with. Yes, but that's, actually it wasn't dealt with because we didn't fight a war on that basis. And, and even laterally in the war, we refused to deal with that whole issue. That wasn't what the war was fought about. But the point well, is this. It, you're right. That's exactly what happens when you regard morality as subjective. In other words, if you think, I feel this, I can do it, I can get away with it, then you end up with Nazism or something equivalent. And that's why you need an absolute morality. Well, I obviously think that's ridiculous because I think that morality is subjective and relative and obviously societies aren't. Um, we, we, like, we're going to have to move on because we, we're out of time, I'm afraid. But um, I, 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 we seem to go around this so. merry-go-round every yeah. every time, don't we? We do this. But but uh, um, Alex, really interesting to talk to you. Thank you. Sorry, we can't have you on for longer. Um, I'm That's saying good. that to, to all our guests. But thank you for contributing today. Really interesting to get your perspective. Nice to talk to you, Alex, and enjoy yeah. Aberdeen. Yeah, enjoy that. Thanks. <laughs> okay. Cheers. Thanks, Alex. Um, moral argument for God covered in. Uh, 15 minutes there. (laughs) Well, do remember we're continuing this online today. A little bit different, we're going to actually let you get in touch with our guests directly via the Premier Community. David will be there as well, taking your questions. So um, do check it out at premier.org.uk forward slash unbelievable. You can get today's podcast there. You can also click through on the big sign that says Premier Community. It'll take you to the unbelievable group there where there are lots of discussions going on and our phone-in guests today are going to be putting their questions up there as conversation threads so do get in touch there and don't forget you can get in touch directly via email as well that's unbelievable at premier.org.uk unbelievable with justin Briley. 
And don't forget, we're available right now as an MP3 podcast. Do send it on to a friend if you're enjoying this. Uh, Premier.org.uk forward slash unbelievable. Time for our final caller in the show today. And uh, he's David Moser, and probably coming from the furthest distance today, he's in China. David, really briefly, because I'm afraid we don't have a lot of time, but h- how did you end up in China exactly? Because you, you're, you're American, I think, aren't you? Right, I'm American, uh, although I'm now married to a Chinese, so I guess that makes me kind of a son-in-law of China in some sense. <laughs> um, I, I came here mainly uh, interested in the language and got hooked on the culture and the people and the food and just ended up staying here. What brought you into contact with the show? Well, you may know that Beijing uh, now is filled with cars and there's horrible traffic jams here. And I go to work every day through that. And uh, I listened to podcasts like crazy and I discovered yours. And it, it was a great way to fill, uh, you know, most of a commute, uh, you know, every week. So Fantastic. Uh, I basically listen to you in crowded uh, traffic. Well, there you go. I'm, I'm glad I'm providing some light relief from the, the yeah. Beijing smog or whatever. Um, right. David, um, you're an atheist. Um, you're a Taoist, interestingly. I don't know if we'll have much time to get into that, but you wanted to talk today on what is, you know, probably one of the most often asked questions. It's the problem of suffering, the problem of evil in the world. We touched on it just briefly earlier, but, but let me you know, put it in your own words. What do you want to ask David today? I think the best way to do it maybe is just to come, is to ask a counterfactual. Uh, I assume, David, I don't really know your your background that much, but I, I assume you sort of believe in the in more or less a, a literal fall of man, the story of the Garden of Eden, and and so forth. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm um, sorry. Hi, David. Uh, can I just say as well? Uh, I'm really, really jealous of you being in China. I absolutely adore <laughs> Chinese culture, Chinese food, and uh, it's very interesting. Um, we'll maybe say more about that a bit later, but uh, yeah, I believe. Well, come here, I'll, I'll take you. I'll take you out to dinner. We can argue about that. I, 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 I would. L- I would love to. Um, yes, I, I believe that humankind has fallen. Yes. Okay, uh, I just want to pose to you the counterfactual that suppose that that uh, at the crucial moment, you know, then when 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 Adam sinned and evil came into the world, that he had not sinned. Mm-hmm. I um, I put to you that that whatever world we might be living in, the perfect world, is basically incoherent. Uh, and maybe because I've lived in China so long, I'm sort of influenced by Taoism, but it just seems rather obvious to me that the very uh, aspects of whatever that world would be that would, would give us pleasure and would make it perfect and would make it paradise are so inextricably linked to the other side, the, the, the pain and suffering side, that there's really no way to coherently imagine a world in which both of those extremes did not e- exist. I, to, just so to I'm kind just of challenging give, give an the illustri- Christian worldview that that such a, uh, and for that matter, that a place such as heaven could exist, because I think it's just the concept of is incoherent. So I was wondering what you were thinking to, of that. Can, can I kind of try and sum this up? Is is would a trivial example of this be um, David in China? Um, the idea that you know one of the pleasures of life is drinking a, a cold drink on a hot day. Um, but, of course, we can't experience that pleasure unless we've had the discomfort of feeling thirsty because we're hot and it's a hot day. And so you can't, yes, exactly, you can't have exactly, the good without yeah, exactly. the bad. That's it's a good, the yin that's a good and the example, yang, yeah. if you like. Yes. OK, go, go ahead, David. Is it incoherent to think of an unfallen world in which evil and which discomfort does not exist? <clears throat> I, I think for me the question is impossible to answer because I don't know what it would be like. And therefore, I'm... I'm I would be arguing as you would be arguing hypothetically. However, what I am interested in is the basic premise of your question, which, interestingly enough, goes against the Western perspective 
I don't think necessarily Christian. It goes against the Western perspective that there can't be a God because there's evil. It may be that what you're saying provides some insight into the fact that in order for us to experience good and to be able to choose good, there does have to be evil. So in that sense, I don't see anything incoherent with that at all. And as to the possibility of an almighty God being able to create a place where we experience only good, maybe in order to get there, we've had to go through the pain of this world, and maybe that's why the fall occurred in the first place. Now, then you end up into, if we wanted to get technical into theology, you end up into a, a 16th century uh, argument between Calvinists about infralapsarianism and supralapsarianism, and I'm not even going to bother to begin to go there. <laughs> So no, I don't want to go. I don't want to go there either. Uh, yeah. But let me just ask you. I don't know whether you stand on this because there seems to be two kind of Christian views on this. Yeah. Do you believe that that the evil in the world was actually not part of, of the divine plan, and that 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 the redemption of Christ and all this is a kind of a way of getting beyond that, or that that as some people say that um, that that evil is is part of, as you said, you know, as, as you sort of alluded to just now, that evil is a sort of necessary part of this world, or that, uh, that God has a plan and, uh, that we don't see, and so that the, the, eco- the evil that we see locally is made up eventually in the end uh, because of some uh, master plan that we, we don't see. Which side do you fall down on? I, I, I tend to fall down uh, on the side that I don't believe there is anything out with the ultimate <laughs> sovereignty of God, and therefore that does include evil. Now, that does create problems for some people, but for me, what you stated at the beginning actually helps with that. So, um, for example, I'll be going this evening to speak um, up in Thurfield somewhere or whatever, and uh, uh, the, the, the question is the problem of suffering. Now, a very simplistic Western liberal mindset goes along the lines of, if I fall over and graze my knee, there cannot be a God, because that God wouldn't want me to graze my knee, and he could have stopped me doing it, and so on. Whereas, what if there is a far greater and grander plan which includes the prospect of evil? So, uh, Christ being crucified on the cross is horrendously evil. It, it, is, it is not a good and pleasant and beautiful thing. And yet, what if that is intended for a greater good? And what if that greater good could only be achieved through evil? So, I'm, I'm, that would well, be I the mean, lines the I would go. The more you talk this way, uh, I mean, I, I hear this sort of thing all the time, that... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that, uh, that that evil is some evil is needed to, to teach us or to give us an appreciation or to, it, it's to a classic argument from Richard so, Swinburne. But the more I hear it? this, hello, it's it's a classic argument yes. from Richard Swinburne that the idea that um, it is in through as it were choosing good over evil that we really if you like are human in terms of our ability to choose it is a greater good if you like that's generated by the fact that we right. we have the option to make choices between good and evil and and, and etc. Yeah, I understand all this, but this, this all sounds very Western to me. The, what I'm getting at is, is that uh, I don't think you can make a separation between good and evil, and that the two, the two are so bound up together that I, the, way, the closer you get to this sort of reasoning, the more I think, well, yes, there may be a God, but he sure sounds like a Taoist to me, because it seems like the, the, necess, the necessity of good and evil are so bound together that you might as well say, well, sure, there's evil in the world. God, God put it there intended it, and the two are inextricably linked. That sounds very much like Taoism to me. Well, I mean, Taoism, for example, I mean, I, I, I have a slight disadvantage with you, I, I, because I actually want to read about Taoism, because one of the things that intrigues me as a, <laughs> as a Christian minister here is the most open group of people I've met to the gospel are the, the Chinese, and I'm talking about Chinese intellectuals. 
It really is quite extraordinary. Um, we had a Christianity Explored course uh, recently in three Chinese on it and who'd never heard anything like it, and two of them have already become Christians. And it seems to me that a lot of their Taoist philosophy has, has kind of prepared and opened the door for them in that way. And although I wouldn't go, there's no distinction between good and evil, I, and I, and I would, but I would go this way to say that if we are created to be rational beings with a free choice, then there has to be something to choose. And if we're going to choose between good and evil, the choice cannot be between good and good. Therefore, evil has to exist. So yes, I, that sounds very exactly. And so, therefore, God created evil because there was, he, he sort of had no other choice. Well, if, well, you, if you were going to create a universe. Yes, was, I mean, you know, coherent, but yeah, it was something that we had now have. If you're going to create a universe in which there is a choice between good and evil, then evil has to be there. Now, you can, if you really want to go mm -hmm. into this, then, I mean, well, I'm sure you probably read this, Augustine's City of God goes into it with some degree of depth, um, which, which basically implies that good is created, evil is non-existence, but it affects the good and so on and perverts things. But it, this is kind of really heavy for a Saturday afternoon show. Well, what's, what's, <laughs> to make just kind of my point clearer, yeah. just, just maybe because I know we're running out of time, yeah. my point is, is just that I think that the, the, the Christian notion that, there, that good is the primary and that you can have a world such as, as heaven or you know, a, 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 a pre-fall world it's, it's just incoherent. It, it, it's, 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 not the, it's not a coherent story for how the world is. And something closer to uh, something that, that recognizes pain and pleasure as linked together and as in, inextricably one as flowing into the other makes much more sense than the Christian view that somehow uh, evil was inserted into the world after the initial perfection that God created. It just makes no sense. No. And, and, and the fact that... that there's this redemption coming through this world, and we will arrive at a, a kind of heaven in the future that will be free of, of pain and suffering also just makes no sense. I mean, the pain and suffering are so part and partial of every pleasure and every possible sensory uh, experience you can imagine that I cannot imagine what consciousness would be like in a place like heaven without the concomitant pain and well, uh, let, let, you know, okay. like the thirst that Justin sure. mentioned. Sure. You know, that, that makes the soda pop taste so good when you drink it. But let me answer that, because, I mean, you're saying incoherent. Now, I, I, we don't have time. I, I, we could go into all the Latin of the, the fall, you know, possipicare, <clears throat> non possipicare, and all that kind of stuff, which is basically arguing why did God allow the fall. An actual fact, after the fall, we end up better than we would have been if there had been no fall, and so on. But that, as I say, that's, that's pretty heavy. But for me, the simple argument, answer to what you're saying about heaven, which is the one where I would come in, where Revelation 7 um, argues that there is no pain, no tears, no suffering, and so on. For me, it's like this. Supposing I go back to the analogy of the drink. Supposing mm -hmm. I enjoy my drink, and I, in fact, I'm going to go for one very, very soon <laughs> because I'm thirsty and my throat is dry and so on, and I really enjoy it because of that, all the more so. To me, right. it's as though the thirst is what we have on earth, but when we get to heaven, that is the eternal drink and the eternal pleasure. And we are able to enjoy it because of what we have gone through. But we don't need to be constantly receiving pain in order to enjoy pleasure. We, we are going to have to join it, draw it to a close. And I'm sorry, because obviously there are so many more responses that you could bring, David, in that's China. O that's okay, but... Justin. The shortness of the time is what made it pleasurable. <laughs> <laughs> you just have to go through the pain, brother. <laughs> yes, yes. Great to talk to you. Yeah. Thank you so much. It was so interesting. And... Um, I, I am actually, I'm, I'm serious, I, I am going to read about Taoism because I do find Chinese philosophy, Confucianism as well, just so fascinating. 
Well, thank you. We'll get my number from Justin, and you're welcome to come here anytime. I'd be glad okay, to thank you. you. Thank you, David. Good to Great. talk to you. Good, okay. good, good to have you on the show, David. Thank you for joining us today. Right. That, that's a sure. David Moser in China. So we've been, uh, been all over the place today, um, both in terms of topics and uh, geographically. Um, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be back just for some final thoughts from David on, on the back of uh, the program today. And we'll be hearing, of course, some of your feedback to previous week's programming. Welcome back to the program. Justin Briley here with you until four o'clock this afternoon. Don't forget we've got some of your feedback to the last couple of weeks of programming. Lots of it there is too uh, towards the end of today's program. If you're with me next week, we're going to be asking the question, do we need God now that we've got science? Dennis Alexander from the Faraday Institute is a Christian who works in science. He's fronting a campaign currently that responds to the Richard Dawkins brand of atheism that says uh, science has essentially superseded belief in God. It's called Test of Faith. It's an initiative going around the country at the moment. It arrives in London in a couple of weeks' time for a special lecture. Uh, so we're going to be putting uh, Stephen Law, who's an atheist, in the studio with Denix for, for a discussion on this topic about science and God. Uh, Stephen from the Royal Institute of Philosophy uh, has uh, often spoken on this subject as well. It'll be a really interesting discussion next week if you can join me between 2.30 and 4. And, of course, online at premier.org.uk forward slash unbelievable. You're listening to Unbelievable on Premier Christian Radio. Well, time to wrap up our show here today. Uh, we've been grilling David Robertson. Uh, and if you want to continue to interact with David and all the guests we've had on the programme today, then I do hope you'll join me at the Premier Community right now. Uh, you can do that. You can go there and uh, get online at premier.org.uk forward slash unbelievable. Click through to the Premier Community and the unbelievable group there and we're talking about all these various issues we've been looking at in the program today our guests from today's program are the ones who will be uh, posting those uh, s threads up and you can respond to them david will be there as well so i do hope you can get involved at premier.org.uk forward slash unbelievable well my thanks again to everyone who contributed on the program today martin trevor alex and david coming in from all over the world um david robertson has been our guest in the studio taking the questions uh, did you did you you enjoy that grilling David I certainly did there were four very very different people and quite fascinating uh, e each of them in their own way um, yeah it was good 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 diverse selection of things and um, I, I think we'll do this again at some point because um, it, it, it's fun in a way just to mm -hmm. you know have a stab at different things without mm -hmm. necessarily kind of you devoting the whole show to them um, what, what for you um, you know, th this this kind of thing is is what you've been doing on and off for the mm -hmm. last few years, taking questions. Um, do you feel like the kinds of issues that were brought up today generally are the kinds of questions people are asking? Um, I, I mean, how significant is it? I, I sometimes don't know whether unbelievable is just kind of really appealing to a niche of people who think deeply about these things, or whether actually there are a significant number of people out there who kind of, for them, these are the questions that they're asking. These are if you like, those barriers to faith. Mm -hmm. Whether it removes them, I don't know, but, but perhaps these are the main things. I, I think Unbelievable actually does have a niche, um, and I think that niche is probably 50% atheist anyway, uh, uh, indicated by your correspondents from all over the world and people who take the podcasts. But I think it's a niche, if you like, that Christians need to get into more and more because it helps us challenge the presuppositions of our society. Uh, it's interesting for me, I've been reading the early church fathers and nearly all of them are apologists. 
Now, I think in, in Western culture, as we're moving back to a, a world that's more akin to the Roman world than it is to the Reformation world, uh, we need more Christians to be apologists in that sense. And if you people who are listening to these these four guys speaking, seeing the different angles from which they're coming, but also in general, um, perhaps with the exception of uh, Dave, David at the end, a, a pretty profound ignorance of what Christianity is, which is not their fault. I mean, a lot of Christians are, are quite profoundly ignorant of a lot of things Christian as well. We have an enormous advantage, and if if I can put it this way, in the postmodern marketplace of ideas, we have by far the best product, and we just need to get it out there. And I think Unbelievable is helping do that. One interesting thing, David, is that your church, St. Peter's uh, in Dundee, is actually developing a centre that's linked to the church, but really kind of is doing, if you like, answering those kinds of questions, aiming to kind of answer the kind of yeah. cultural questions that are being asked as well. So tell us a little bit about that and how it's progressing. Yeah, it's now um, separate from the church. It's been set up as a, a limited charitable company. We even have a name, um, SOLAS, Centre for Public Christianity. And SOLAS is spelled S-O-L-A-S. It's a Gallic word that means light, which just sums up exactly what we're trying to do, is to be light in a dark world. Um, good news for us is we're working with the John Dixon and Greg Clark, the Centre for Public Christianity in Australia, who've got superb material on their website and uh, most exciting is for me is with uh, RZIM Ravi Zacharias Ministries and they're on board with us as well and they again are so effective in reaching out across the world so being able to partner with people like that and train people in Scotland and not just in Scotland but across the border as well and throughout Europe um, I suspect that we're going to have maybe more of your listeners coming up to Dundee, coming for weekends. Uh, we're going to try and run training courses, apologetics events, and so on. So it's it's looking good at the moment. Fantastic. And and due for launch sometime late in this year, is that the plan? Yeah, we've, we've actually launched. We've actually up and going. We have our office. Um, we will not put our website up. The website is through our the St. Peter's website at the moment for another six months or so, I think. But um, we are anticipating Ravi Zacharias himself and Michael Ramsden, Amy Orr Ewing, some of the folks from Ravi Zacharias Ministries in Oxford, uh, coming up to do an official launch on November the 20th. Fantastic. That's what we're planning. Great. Well, hopefully we can cover that here on the show as well. It'd be great to sort of see what's happening up there. And, and um, obviously, as, as and when that happens, um, we'll be able to let people know if they would be interested in undertaking any training yeah. or, or being involved in a course or whatever and yeah. and, and that's the idea is it? it's aimed presumably at Christians who want to be equipped yeah yeah I mean uh, there it's how will I put it the world doesn't need a thousand David Robertsons or even a thousand Justin Brearley's or even a thousand Ravi Zacharias's every different people have their own gifts and their own thing but the world does need Christians who have a grasp of their faith and uh it's not that we, we will train everyone to be, you know, know-it-all apologists, but rather that we will train and help people that they can see their faith is reasonable and how it connects with the culture and the world in which we live. So it really is designed for what I would call ordinary Christians and ordinary church leaders. 
who are saying, how do we run a coffee event? You know, how do we uh, get involved in local media? How do we, how do I as a doctor, for example, witness within what I'm doing? How do I as a Christian politician? Um, how do I as a teacher? All these kinds of things, looking at art and looking at music and looking at philosophy and history and science and um, church life. How do we as a, how are, how can our, this would be my aim. My aim would be for every church in Britain to be an apologetic church, which is proclaiming and living uh, the gospel of Jesus so that people go, wow, mm. that's what I want. Sounds fascinating. If you want to find out more, um, well, you can reach uh, details about it through the website of St. Peter's Church. That's stpeters-dundee.org.uk. I'll put that up with this podcast, of course, and you can read more of David's thoughts on his blog there as well. Um, but uh, do watch this space for the official launch, if you like, later on in the year, and we'll certainly bring you more details of that um, later on in the year on this programme. For the moment, thank you, David, for joining us today. Thank you. It it's was fun, a... wasn't it? It, it was, was fun. Yeah. It was... It was... I w to be honest, I, I'll confess, I'll do a public confession here. I was a wee bit terrified of this one. <laughs> and um, again, I, I'm coming out of it not thinking, wow, I was survived. I'm coming out of it thinking, wow, the gospel really does have the answer to all these guys. Well, that's great. Thank you very much for being on. And uh, if you've been listening and you'd like to get in touch, well, we're going to be hearing some...